Hi, it's Chris here from the Movie Bunker podcast, and I'm delighted tonight to be joined by Marshall Julius, film critic for BBC Radio Oxford and social media guru for Channel 5, amongst many, many other things. Uh, welcome to the bunker, Marshall. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. For our listeners who may not be familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? It might be difficult. Your CV is massive. It's quite busy, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I, I don't know. Um, well, I, I'm the sort of person who I'm either sitting at my laptop in in my pajamas or I'm at screenings occasionally interviews but mostly it's either in the cinema not in my pajamas or at my computer in my pajamas <laughs> the life of a film critic and especially now that you can do everything um, online I mean I barely have to even leave um, the house to see the movies either so yeah. literally is I am a shut-in I'm a professional shut-in so you've worked with many publications and media outlets haven't you over the years I have I have well I started back in the old olden days back yeah. in the, the late 80s I, I was um, I was first hired as the um, classical music editor and opera critic for what's on in London magazine when I was 18 oh wow I, I went straight from um, from doing my A levels straight straight into this job because my editor at the time didn't like overeducated people, and so I was like perfect for that role. And they realised after a few months of me um, trying to review operas that they should really put me onto film because actually I like yeah. classical music. I, I don't know anything about it, so uh, yeah. I, increasingly, I did more and more film stuff then. I suppose over the years, I, I wrote for lots of newspapers, um, especially the um, Sunday Express. Back in the day, before everything kind of thinned out and no one had yeah. any money, there was a great, they had a great um, magazine supplement. I used to travel all over the world writing great nerd stories for them. I was like their kind of freelance geek. And yeah. uh, and lately, the last 10 years or so, it's been way more online. I've um, run the social media and written all the content for Blockbuster and, and, and other companies that... Mm. Um, I didn't run into the ground until they went out. <laughs> Where did your passion for sort of film journalism begin? Well, it's really my passion for film. My mum, my mum was a huge movie geek before they ever had that phrase. And mm. um, like Saturday afternoons, when I suppose regular kids were, I don't know, watching sport or outside playing or doing whatever kids did in the 70s. Me and my mom, we'd pull the sofa um, close to the TV. She would show me like two old uh, movies every 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 Saturday afternoon. This, was, this would be on real television, broadcast television, pre-internet, pre-video even, and uh, they'd always show these great old matinees. So I grew up watching Bob Hope comedies and mm. uh, Fred Astaire musicals and uh, Billy Wilder crime thrillers, and I just soaked it all up, and she would tell me who all the actors were and a little bit about the directors, and she just, you know, she just had all this information in her head, and I just kind of soaked it up, and I, and I just, and that from that moment, I think, onwards, I've just been obsessed and in, totally in love um, with movies. You're quite fond of a trash movie, aren't you, as well? Well, there was, um, in the 80s, there was a guy called Michael Medved, a film mm. critic who wrote some you, some books I'm sure you're familiar with, the Golden Turkey books. And uh, he, uh, and then this was kind of opened up a new world for me. You know, he talked a lot about Ed Wood. He talked about, you know, films in the 50s that kind of low budget sci-fi kind of horror things like Robot mm. Monster, you know, the guy that had yeah. a gorilla 
telescope, they had a space helmet, so it's like put it together and what have you got? Something terrible and amazing. So, you know, I, I started seeking out these movies and um, I, they used to show them occasionally late at night on TV. There was this great kind of boutique cinema called The Scala in King's Cross and of course the National Film Theatre and, you know, you had to put in a bit of effort in the 80s um, and the uh, and the 90s um, if you wanted to catch up with stuff you yeah. could just you know buy it on Amazon or download it or you know you had to seek it out and so it was kind of like um, I was a bad movie hunter you yeah, know? yeah yeah it was it was totally as cool as it sounds and uh, the chicks just went crazy for me but, <laughs> uh, let me tell you about Edward you know it was a line that never worked for me honestly no <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, just, um, it became like I, I wanted to see th- these terrible films that they were writing about in uh, in in the Golden Turkey books. I, I kind of sought them out and watched them, and some some were quite boring or fun for ten minutes. Um, yeah. Others, others like Clannine from Outer Space became, you know, my favorite. Some of my favorite films. I mean, they were just so funny. I loved Edward. I've, I've been obsessed with Edward um, for years because he had such a passion for making films that it was the equal of Spielberg or or any or Scorsese or any any great director. The only difference was he had no talent at all, and he was right. mad, just completely deluded and had no idea about how to make films properly. But he did them, and he got them done. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you got to hand it to him. I mean, his films were terrible, but look, all these years later, I'm still talking about them. Yeah, yeah. My co-hosts, Matt and me, talk about, if you want to start in cinema, the, the easiest and cheapest ways to start is with a horror or a, a sort of a, a some sort of B movie a shtick or something. So, and I guess I know Edward we didn't lean towards horror, but what what was his sort of genre? Well, I think that his first his 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 genre was himself. I think yeah, you know, his first movie um, was uh, Glenn or Glenda, the kind of um, sex change movie, which was pretty bold and completely mad. And I mean, he, he was his own genre, but yes, monster movies, especially after um, he met Bella Lugosi, who was um, old and really on his way out. I mean, career-wise, he, he was kind of um, washed up and health-wise, he was mm. addicted to drugs. And so basically, uh, Ed was the only person who showed any interest in him. And uh, so, of course, when you're mates with Bella Lugosi, what are you going to make? You're not going to make a rom-com. You're going to make monster movies. And so, so I think that, that kind of, that, that one thing led to another, honestly. So most people would, would really be only familiar with Edward and, and with a biopic, right? Mm, mm. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Played he's, made, he's made quite a few bad movies of his own. The, the you could probably do a whole podcast on him on his own, yeah. yeah. They're just, <laughs> I find the, the bad Johnny Depp movies are, are just incredibly tedious. That's what, that's, that's the one thing I cannot forgive. Um, yeah. Good, bad, whatever, whatever the kind of uh, level of quality it's pitched at. If it's boring, it's trash, and I hate it. I just, yeah. I think that's the only thing a film shouldn't be. It can be utter shit but as long as it's not boring i'll give it a watch what we're trying to do within our podcast and our mission is to find a movie that's critically panned but has redeeming merits or something that we would think you would revisit again and again and i think Mm. the only thing that has come close so far for us is not because the the film has is quality it's just the nostalgia of maybe reviewing it and it's endearing in a way was alienator which, which is our first film the 1990 film starring um 
Michael Vincent from Airwolf. I don't know if you've seen this film. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I have. It, it does, it does ring a bell. I can't say it's like uh, I'm going to be able to quote lines. No, from no, no. Massive, uh, like a WWF wrestler, a female wrestler with with a gun arm. Um, it's terribly made, um, but it's you can't go wrong with a gun arm though. No, no exactly. <laughs> but um, any appendage with a gun. <laughs> What do you think goes wrong with these big or small budget films where filmmakers or they got the right director possibly attached to it and things don't go according to plan? What's your take on that? So many, so many reasons. I mean, well, for starters, your eyes are bigger than your belly sometimes. You know, you yeah. have grandiose ideas, but you just can't achieve them or you don't have budget to achieve them. Something happens halfway through. Maybe your effects budget is cut in half. There's so many things that can um, derail a film. Plus people. People are inherently stupid and they don't get on and they clash with each other. And that yeah. kind of stuff can really work against a movie. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're, it's actually the, the real trick is making a good film. How do they manage that? I mean, why mm-hmm. isn't every film terrible? Is really the question. Mm-hmm. Why are why you you know you should be doing a podcast four or five times a day? You know, there, there are just so many terrible films out there. I, I think often it's when a director has given too much power. I mm-hmm. mean, look at look at you know George Lucas. You know, Star Wars is like. You know, I'm not, I'm not alone in this. You mm. know, is, is, is an obsession of mine. Mm. And you look at Star Wars and you you, you hear the stories behind it. And, uh, you know, Josh Lucas had to fight for everything. He Nobody just said yes to him. Everything was a battle. And somehow it all turned out great. Yeah. But then you look at, like, The Phantom Menace. Um, mm. At which point he was all-powerful. You know, he'd come yeah. to the, the Emperor and, 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 and all of a sudden nobody's nobody's speaking up. Um, he can do whatever he wants. And, you know, he makes the biggest pile of crap in film history. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I, you look at um, Barry Levinson. I mean, he made a lot of great movies and Good Morning Vietnam. And suddenly he's he can write his own ticket and he makes toys, um, which is terrible Robin Williams film. Oh, um, right. Yes, yes. You know, you know, you get a lot of directors when they're when they're actually given free reign without anybody interfering. It, you know, it, it can be a complete disaster. Sometimes you need to interfere. I mean, look at Marvel movies. I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies. They're either excellent or extremely watchable. I don't think there's a single really bad film in the no. whole of one of Marvel Studios' history, and nobody interferes with their directors more than them. I mean, it's crazy how yes, much yes. they with them. Of course, yeah. then there's films like uh, Hudson Hawk, which Michael Lehrman, he made after uh, Heathers. And uh, Heathers yeah. was, you know, as everybody knows, um, but I remember when it first came out, I remember interviewing him, and he was, uh, you know, he was, he was so interesting and, and, and kind of edgy and, and, and fun and, and, and intelligent, and he'd come out with this amazing indie movie that everybody loved that was kind of smart and funny. And, and then for some reason, Joel Silver and uh, Bruce Willis hire him to make this bloated action epic that's mm. like, oh, isn't Bruce Willis hilarious and brilliant? And, and, uh, and it was just a horrible disaster. He had a terrible experience on it. And I don't think he ever really recovered from that, honestly. I think yeah. it derailed his career. I mean, yeah, he's still working, and there's nothing wrong with working on TV. But uh, I, I think that it was um, very damaging for him. A lot of big stars like, you know, Bruce Willis, uh, you know, at the time in the mm. 80s, 
the 90s, they used to hire these interesting directors and completely dominate them. I guess the most recent recent, recent example of that, and it's only because I've been sort of watching some of your YouTube videos as well, is the uh, Josh Trank uh, situation with Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. Yes, the tranquilizer, as I thought. <laughs> I mean, you did a really good review of that movie on your YouTube channel. Yeah, that, that was the one that I did in my, in my toilet, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I tried to, I was, you know, doing these videos at the time of Marshall at the movies, and uh, I wanted to make them kind of location or somehow subject specific. Yeah, I mean, there was only one place to review a stinker like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah what- how do they manage to do it? How do they manage? They've got the years and years of, um, years and years of great subject material. Mm-hmm. They've got money, access to talent, fantastic actors, the weight of a studio behind them. Mm. And they just make the most god-awful, boring, bloated, terrible film. Like, they've never seen a film. Like, you know, (laughs) they've literally never seen a film and just had no idea what they were supposed to do. Like, they walked in day one and they said, what's that? And someone said, wait a minute, I'll have a look. Oh, wait, it's called a camera. And I think (laughs) stuff in front of it. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's like completely clueless. Terrible, terrible film. It's on our list to do in the future. I think um, we're avoiding it. I've seen it. I wasn't impressed. It's, yeah, as you say, it was boring, the dialogue. And it's got some interesting points about the young, young scientists being exposed to things that they're not, they're, they're not used to, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And the body horror aspects to it is quite entertaining. But the mood and the, and the, the canvas and everything about it is dark. And Doctor Doom, I mean, sat like an industrial hoover. It was, <laughs> you know, th- there you've got one of the most interesting characters, one of the most interesting villains in, in comic books. Mm-hmm. A guy who's basically an incredibly capable scientist and magician and dictator. You know, this guy <laughs> has like um, diplomatic immunity, plus he can create, I mean, he can, he can fight everybody, he can beat everybody. And if, if somebody does beat him, he can just say, well, sorry, I'm going back to my country. There's really mm. nothing to do. He's like the most um, kind of fiendish, confounding, exotic villain. And, mm. and uh, you know, in all of the films that he's appeared in, he's just some dick in a mask. It'd be know? interesting to see what they, if, uh, Marvel do or Marvel Studios do anything with that uh, franchise particularly whether they'll do anything with Doctor Doom that's quite interesting because he does deserve well, they've got to they've got to yeah. they can do it you know they do good Thanos Thanos it's is amazing they can do it when they try so you know yes somebody should try but honestly I mean I, I love Doctor Doom I couldn't really give a toss about the Fantastic Four, honestly. I never no. really read them when I was growing up. I'm not that fussed about them. I'm not too precious. I was always more precious about Batman and Spider-Man. They were my guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, Liam. I'm so glad I got through to you. I'm a really big fan. I don't know who you are. Well, I'm glad you asked. We're the Comics in Motion podcast, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and most of the podcast platforms. I don't know what you want. It was more just to let you know that we do in-depth weekly reviews of media like movies, TV shows and games that are based on comic books. We also go into the background of the comics and the production of that media itself. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. Well, five-star review might be nice, but honestly, there's no money necessary to listen. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Seems a little pretentious. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Well, we're no spring chickens either, to be honest. 
skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Uh, are you expecting a different caller from me, maybe? If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. Well, would be nice if you could come and have a listen and even check out our Twitter page at Comics in Motion P. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Uh, okay. Chris, I think this one's for you. We've established that you actually quite enjoy a trash film, but as long as it's so trashy that it's kind of it's enjoyable and not you know boring. But is oh, there yeah, a absolutely. is there is there been a film that you've been you know really looking forward to seeing, and then you've you've heard those famous words that are, you know they're not screened for press? What happens internally to you when you hear those words? Oh well, you know, publicists might like to think that they're that we don't know why they don't want to show us films until the last minute or at or at all. But we know that's because they don't want us to see them because yeah. we'll say terrible things about them. I mean, mm. you know, there are a lot of films that kind of divide critics, but uh, the films that are generally not screened to us, you just know that they're going to be appalling stinkers. Also, when we're forced to sign these little slips of legally binding papers. Oh, yes. Which I hate. Um, It's like, you know, you can't even tweet about them. And it's like, for me, what is the point of going to see something if I can't tweet about it? What is the point of actually having any experience at all online? And if they say that, you know, there's a a tweeting embargo, there's a review embargo, it's because they think that we're going to say all sorts of, you know, venomous things before the movie premieres or, you know, they want at least a, a day or two where word hasn't spread around yet mm. but it's um, terrible the thing about film critics is um that nobody um that we're practically redundant nobody listens to us and nobody cares what we say so well, honestly even if we say terrible things it's not really going to put people off i mean i've i've reviewed me and my colleagues have reviewed films incredibly harshly and mm. i mean and just look at bohemian rhapsody you mm. know that's out now that got that's got a really cruddy rating on mm. rotten tomatoes but everybody loves it yeah. yeah yeah i mean we're right and so <laughs> so is the public you know well it's, it's objective. that's it's why it's the easiest job in the world being a film critic yeah. i think all you actually have to well anybody can review a film i think the difference um the difference between uh, kind of some some professional critics and and and, and most other people is that um you just try have to make it readable and interesting and i was trying to make it kind of fun and entertaining i'll always mm. sacrifice a bit of depth in my review if i can get a few jokes in that's yeah, yeah. no problem you know basically people just want to know if they if they're going to be amused um but you know when they read a review if they don't like what you say then they just say oh bloody critics they don't like anything i, I don't know a single critic who doesn't love film like monkeys love bananas you know yeah, i don't yeah. know there's no critic in the business there's who, who who got into it because he hates film or she hates no. you know it's just that after a while you've seen everything a hundred times you've seen every kind of story a thousand times so that when you see a comedy that to some people might seem fresh and amusing you can think of a thousand times when you've seen it better you know it's just the, the more you know the harder it is to be uh, impressed yeah, um, yeah. I try and hold on to my enthusiasm for things, and uh, 
you know, but sometimes enthusiasm can work against you. You can go into a film thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'm so excited. And then unless it lives up to that, you're kind of disappointed. I find it's best to go into a film expecting it to be just a steaming pile of crap. Yeah. <laughs> and then anything you, anything above that, it's that, then that's, you know, that's good. Because I think you, you were quite uh, excited for the, the whole DC universe, uh, the Warner Brothers films. And I always see you tweeting about, you know, I'm about to go and see X film or, you know, whether it's mm, Superman. Wow. And then the crushing disappointment in your reviews or your little small yes, tweet. Now, reviews. honestly, you know, I thought Man of Steel was, um, was uh, pretty good. I, I quite yeah. liked on the first Superman movie. Um, I've actually just pretty much hated every DC film um, since though. And I really, I mean, I thought the Wonder Woman was okay. Mm. I thought the first two thirds of Wonder Woman were pretty decent. I thought the last act of, um, of Wonder Woman was just, just, just the most awful dreck though. Just terrible. It's like for the final fight, it's going to be special effects, smashing other special effects. So now now we're going to, now we're going to sneak into the Nazi stronghold with a little bit of comedy shtick at the gate. And then, and then this woman's going to walk around with an enormous sword that's sticking out between her shoulder blades and all of these Nazi guards, they, what do they think that it was like a hat pin? (laughs) Why why didn't they take it off? I mean, it's just, Yeah, yeah, ridiculous thing why why did nobody say hang on the truth is about that film is that everybody really really wanted it to yes uh, and and that anybody who didn't like it was afraid to say so but it did seem a massive it was a massive cop out at the end in terms of uh, i thought the whole final act was just it, it was interesting and it was interesting and it was building and then it just was like just like the worst kind of kind of cop out endings i just thought the whole thing was just terrible it fell apart and there was just so many so much unnecessary stuff it's like okay we're gonna go what steve trevor he's gonna sacrifice himself it's like why 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 did he have to sacrifice himself get on the plane with a parachute point it over there and jump out (laughs) yes yes i mean you know it's like well it was just you just did it for for effect but you know also i i think that for for a film that you know was kind of had interesting female characters in it and 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 a really interesting kind of henchwoman that that poisoner woman why didn't they make her the Aries. Why couldn't why couldn't she be the bad guy? Why in the end did it have to be just some old white guy? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It just didn't make sense. And then, you know, it's like they had that whole kind of Star Wars strike her down and, you know, give in to your hate. And so she Uh. actually lets like the most evil person in the film go. Mm. because the bad guy is baiting her to do it. They totally have killed that woman. The only reason she didn't do it is because they thought, oh, we could bring her back another time. It was just yeah, was, yeah. nothing made sense about the end of that film. Nothing. Well, we'll soon Sorry, see. You got me into a whole Wonder Woman rant. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. I like, like a good rant. Um, we'll see if it redeems itself for you in the in the second film, which is out, I think, in a couple of years. I think, which is based on. Uh, the... Yeah, I'm happy to see the '80s one. I think that yeah. might be amusing. Although, having lived through the '80s, that. <laughs> Uh, that was just an awful, <laughs> awful decade. The only good thing about the 80s, and I was actually writing about it yesterday, okay. were, were the movies and the action movies. So back then, um, nobody really cared about each other, and, and action movies reflected that. It was, it was all violent death 
and the destruction of property and, and you know yeah. it was a simpler time when no matter what the question was violence was always the answer uh, you know that that was the only good thing about the 80s that and you know was like ghostbusters and back to the future it was it was a great time for kind of blockbusters but everything else about the 80s was terrible and the the music okay some of it's okay but the fashions and 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 the, and the politics and the way the world was and who we were being governed by i mean obviously yeah, yeah. they um were not really in a great place no. with, but uh, yeah i mean the 80s were terrible so anything that harkens back to that i'm not like super excited about it it was bad enough going through it the first time the 80s is the um the decade the popular decade at the moment or it seems to have been for the last few years everyone oh, seems to be quite oh. here for it i'm waiting for the the, the 90s to to get a resurrected that would be quite interesting oh, yeah. i remember oh, more of that the 80s has been <laughs> popular for longer than the 80s were around for <laughs> yeah. uh, you know i'm a child of the 70s so um i think very nostalgically uh, um, about those days but i think the truth is there's probably good and bad in, in every decade so. of course yeah yeah well listen i wanted to speak to you uh, off topic a little bit about your your den oh, <laughs> Now I'll put some pictures on our social media because if you don't mind, um, no, no, go ahead. No, I'm it's... not shy about it. <laughs> well, I've got a little man cave at the bottom of my garden that we do record the podcast in sometimes, and um, okay. I do collect a little bit, but I'm 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 on a leash in terms of <laughs> what, what I'm allowed to do in in terms of spending money. You've got oh, a bear. Are we all? no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You've absolutely. got really. I've just really... been. I've been. I've. I've, I've always been quite good at blagging honestly you know, um, i've gotten a lot of stuff um i've gotten a lot of stuff for free um over the years when i was 18 i started writing for this magazine what's on in london i kind of uh, floated the idea of having uh, like book review sections and, and then you know video review sections mm. and, you know all the stuff started kind of flooding in and uh, people were like uh, you know how do you do this? And it's like, well, you reach out to the PRs, you, you promise them something and they yeah. give you, you know, it was, uh, I, my whole life, my special, uh, my superpower has been, um, the ability to be given stuff for nothing. <laughs> Never make money doing what i do but <laughs> just uh, so i i kind of believe in a kind of system of bartering where you do something for someone and and, and you get something back so I, I'm, I'm lucky in that through my twitter um i've got i've developed some good relationships with people whose products i love you know funko and uh and lego and uh you know they're they're, they're, they're happy to send me stuff um because you know i'm a huge fan and i and i i share pictures of it and i build yeah, it yeah display in my den and you know I, I wouldn't do it for stuff that i didn't want or that i didn't love um but you know my my tastes are fairly broad I yeah love everything's covered isn't it really i mean obviously there's a there's a great deal of um star wars and there's your your marvel and the dc and and, and your big simpsons uh, memorabilia there as well which is really impressive it is well you know i've been collecting since i was six and yeah. uh Seriously, since I was 13, um, I suppose um, Return of the Jedi was my first um, really serious um, kind of collecting experience where I just mm -hmm. tried to get everything. And, uh, you know, I 
this was also um, pre-internet so you would go to um, collectors marks comic-con sort of events and uh, yeah yeah see these things that you didn't know existed until that moment until until that moment you didn't know that you'd always wanted them and uh, i realize now that listening to what i just said about getting a lot of stuff for free i just sound like such a dick i no. <laughs> no. I, I, the thing is i just love stuff I, yeah I yeah yeah i always yeah. felt like um you are, you have you have a little bit of something from a movie. I'm not talking about props, although I do have some 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 props and, and things like that. But yeah. you have you 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 get hold of like a, a Funko pickle Rick or or a, or a, a Lego uh, BBA or or, mm. or some some great uh, graphic novel um, from a, a movie that you love. And it, I don't know. Somehow it's like you own a little bit of the thing that you love. It makes you feel a bit closer to it. Um, when my collection started, it was enough to fit in a drawer. Now I'm just completely surrounded. I've got stuff everywhere on the floor. I mean, literally, the, my half my ceiling is now covered with stuff. And so you can walk in the den, and uh, on any given day, something can land on your head. You just, <laughs> it's a health and safety nightmare. Yeah, it is. Basically, <laughs> you know, blue tech will only go so far. <laughs> Yeah, I've magnetized um, half the ceiling as well. I, I put up metal sheets and so I, you know, it's just, it, it, there's a lot of science and a lot of uh, <laughs> that go into it. It's gone into my um, den. Yeah. You know, my, my philosophy is why have one of something when you can have a hundred. <laughs> what, what can people catch you on social media doing? What's your handles or what have you? Well, I mean, everything, my whole life is on Twitter, just at Marshall Julius. You come and find me there. (laughs) 